Seriously, how is she and I in the same place? Oh, get over yourself. Trust me, don't trust me. It doesn't matter. We're running out of time, and I'm your only option. We're running out of time, and I am your only option? A lot of guys your age said that to me just as the bar was about to close, but I never settled for them because my ex-boyfriend lived nearby, he was obsessed with me, and he never slept because he was addicted to Adderall. There is always another option. You guys do whatever you want. I'm out. No, my plan only works if all four of you are on board. Then you better get cracking on a new plan, Pally, because so far I haven't heard a single good reason why I should help you. All right, how about this? You help me trick Vicky and all those other goons. I can get you to the real good place. is the bad place. Welcome to Welcome to Storybrooke. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we are officially done with the hell season. Yay! Except we're still going to call this chapter eight, the not so good place, for the next two episodes because, you know, we're not going to come up with a whole other thing for the two episodes that lead us into the next season. Uh, We're talking about season five, episode 22, Only You. In our little quasi-postscript season. It's not really a postscript season, right? Like, a postscript season is like that one episode of Buffy, the restless episode at the end of season four. Mm-hmm. This is more like a setup season. A prescript. Yes, exactly. These are the two episodes that get us ready for next season, when we will go to the land of lost stories, which I'm actually pretty excited about. I am too. I... Was honestly not expecting to enjoy this episode as much as I did. Yeah. Even though I would have hated this episode if we had done it a few years ago. Because it's all Henry all the time. I I was listening to an older episode of our podcast and we were so harsh on him. We really came around on Henry, didn't we? Okay, so I have to bring up because this episode is weirdly connected to the mini podcast that I'm going to do at some point soon, mm-hmm. where I talk about television tie-in novels. The first one I'm going to talk about is Henry and Violet, the young adult tie-in novel that goes to Once Upon a Time. And it's basically the plot of this episode, if you didn't know what Once Upon a Time was, it didn't make any sense when I read it a couple of months ago because um, the writer seems to not understand the basis of the plot of Once Upon a Time. But it makes even less sense now that I'm watching this because a lot of the things that happen in the novel have already happened in this episode. Uh, as a reminder, everyone's boyfriend except Emma's is dead. Well, Are dead? Is, is dead, yes. Uh, well, not Violet's boyfriend, because the show also wants to remind us that Henry had a relationship with Camelot refugee Violet. Yes. Uh, Zelina's boyfriend, Hades, the big bad, is dead. Yeah, that's what happened. Also, Robin Hood is dead by the same Olympian crystal. And speaking of Angel again, it not only kills you, it destroys your soul, like what happened to Fred, so that we can't bring them back. Hmm. Mm. So... This is the end of Robin, then. We're not going to see Robin anymore. No more Robin. We aren't. But, you know, Robin is dead. We're not going to do another journey to hell. Mm. 
I feel like that was the reason they put that in, so we wouldn't just immediately go traipsing back to hell. Well, I mean, that's the problem, right? Once they introduce the idea that you can go to hell to bring someone back, any death raises the question, why aren't we going to hell to bring them back? Oh, speaking of which, Hook proved himself to be a good man or something, so he got sent back to Earth. Yeah, he he had a small amount of bro time with Zeus. Okay, so we got Zeus for like 10 seconds. He showed up, he hung out with Hook for like 10 seconds. He's like, you seem like a cool bro. I'm going to bring you back to life. I'm ambiguously God. It's weird. Uh, So Zeus doesn't acknowledge that everything that happened was kind of his fault. Because he was the one who stopped Hades' heart and made him go evil. That's the most in-character thing for Zeus that we see on this show. True. I mean... In the 10 seconds, we actually see Zeus on this show. So we haven't talked about the title card in a long time. So I just wanted to bring up that the title card in this episode is a Zeppelin. The number one indication that you are in an alternate reality. We're also back to blue for title cards. Yes, because we are not in hell anymore. The title cards were red the whole time we were in hell. Like a weird sepia red. So... The episode opens, he said, when we've been talking for forever. Seriously, I mean, I'm going to edit this down a little bit, so it won't be this time when you're listening to it, but what's the time mark that we're at right now? Uh, It's been 11 minutes. We've been talking about other stuff. That's hilarious. So they're at one of those, as the FCC has deemed them, death parties for Robin. You mean a funeral? Well, it's It's really more of a memorial service. Yeah. At Granny's, where everyone is sadly wearing black and drinking coffee. You think Granny uh, asked the waitresses not to dress the way they normally do for this? I'm surprised that they don't have tiny Red Riding Hood style black versions of their uniforms for all of the funerals that they do here. Put on your black tassels. It's a funeral. Exactly. But Regina is really sad because her boyfriend's dead and her sister sits down with her baby and she's like, it's okay. My boyfriend's dead too. We can bond over this. The whole dead boyfriend thing. Okay, you know what? We hate on Zelina so much here at Welcome to Storybook Central. Mm Mm-hmm. I am going to propose that we, at this point in time, give Zelina the same benefit of the doubt that we gave Regina and pretend that that whole plot with Robin Hood did not happen. Because the show really wants us to. So we're going to gram it, then? We're going to gram it. I mean... It's 100% not okay, just like what Regina did with Graham is 100% not okay. But this show wants to be a show about redemption. So, you know, instead of showing what that could look like in the context of doing something truly unforgivable, they're just gonna forget it happened. Soft retcons. Soft retcons. Yeah, yeah. Although that's not going to be helped by the fact they acknowledge it one last time in this episode. Oh, do they? Yes, they do. So Henry is moping in a corner at this funeral, way to bring the funeral down, Henry. When uh, he's approached by his quasi-girlfriend, Violet, who remembered she existed, so good for her. Well, I mean, Henry was in hell and she wasn't, so that makes sense. Mm. Emma and Hook are outside getting ready to come in, and Emma's like, let me go in first and kind of give everyone a warning that you're alive since everyone else's boyfriend is dead. Okay, when did Hook's resurrection happen? 
Because when we were, like, were they having a group funeral or not? Because we thought they were, but then it looked like she changed clothes. No, no, no. It was two separate. We talked about this last week. There were two separate funerals, but the editing was intercut, so it was confusing. Because we saw Emma at Robin Hood's funeral, but we also saw her alone at Hook's grave. But this is post-funeral. Everyone's hanging out at Granny's, and Hook just got back. So, was Hook resurrected before the end of Robin's funeral? When did Hook come back? When, when? Okay, so here's the timeline as I have to assume it happened. Robin's funeral. Emma rushed home and changed clothes. Everyone else went to Granny's. Emma went to Hook's grave to be sad. Hook showed up. Now, Hook and Emma are on their way to Granny's. So, we saw it out of order last episode. Because we, we saw the Emma at Hook's grave Hook resurrection thing before we saw the Robin Hood thing. Correct. So uh, we cut from Emma being like, Hook, maybe you should hang back because, you know, everyone is sad about the dead people and this- I don't want to rub the fact that I'm a charming who everything works out for in everyone's face right now. Because after all, I was not raised as a charming. Yeah. If Emma had been raised as a charming, she wouldn't even give a second thought to rubbing everyone's face in this. Yeah, she's like, it might be a little awkward, especially with Regina and Zelina, who have a tendency to... Overreact? Overreact. So I, I think I should ease them into the idea of you maybe not being dead before, you know... Probably a good idea. Uh, so we go from that to Rumpelstiltskin, who... Not to continue the moratorium we are doing on the last episode, but we were having a discussion about Belle's dad's decision to not wake Belle up from her self-induced coma using True Love's Kiss. Yes, we did talk about that quite a bit. I think he was wrong to not wake up Belle. And I didn't make the argument I should have made, which was, he knows that Belle put herself on uh, into the sleeping curse. He does not know the circumstances. Well, it's true. Belle did say that her plan was to have her father wake her, but her father does only have Rumpel's word on that. Yeah. Okay, you should have made that argument last week. That definitely sways me. Yeah. Although her father is an asshole and oh, no. terrible and... Yeah, Maurice is an awful person. But that was the argument I should have made last week. He really doesn't have the full context. I understand why he wouldn't, you know immediately want to wake her up but that's not his argument his argument is that he'd rather she be dead than with rumple well not dead on pause he but he would rather she be dead than with rumple well amnesiac the bottom line is rumple needs to find some other way to wake up bell who he's carrying around in a little box pandora's box yeah rumple says that it's more important now than ever that he protect them that he protect her because not only is she a person, she's containing his unborn child. Gross. Yeah. Gross. So what he needs to keep her properly protected is more power. So he's going to absorb the power of the Olympian crystal, which I love that the storybook crew just left that in Hades' ashes. Like... I am confused by the idea that the Dark One is the most powerful thing ever, but now the Olympian Crystal will give him even more power. Not only is he the most powerful force of magic we've seen on the show, now Rumpel apparently contains the power of all of the Dark Ones, which shouldn't really mean anything because it should be just the same power passing on. But, but we did know that. We found that out last season because Emma contained all of the powers of the previous Dark Ones and then Rumpel, like... Jupe them in. So now he's like more powerful than any dark one has ever been before. 
but it's not enough power. He also needs god power, although, I mean, it really seemed like you were already more powerful than Hades, so... Whatever, Rumble's more powerful now. Yes, he's consolidating the power of Storybrooke into the Olympian Crystal, so it'll be, like, extra powery, and then I guess he's gonna grind it up and snort it? Sure, sure. Also, somehow the Olympian Crystal has the power to, like, sap everyone else's power? So this is the sorcerer's hat all over again, basically. I was thinking about more like Dark Willow absorbing all of the magic from the books. God, that was such a cool effect. It was. But I mean, we've already basically seen this before in this show with the sorcerer's hat. That's true, we have. So Rumple activates the crystal or whatever, and it causes a big light special effect and the ground shakes and, and Hook freaks out and runs into the diner to make sure that everyone's okay. What were you going to do if they weren't? Also, now you've just messed everything up because now everybody is just, like, gut-punched by the fact that you're still alive and all of their loved ones are dead. Yeah, and David's like, what are you doing here? I thought we left you, like, chained up in hell. And Hook's like, I got better. And Regina's like, Jesus fucking Christ. And Regina says the most spot-on thing, which is she tells Emma, I'm used to suffering and I'm used to other people getting their own way. There's other stuff we need to deal with now. That blast of magic was obviously Rumpelstiltskin. Who else could it have possibly been? It's the time in the season where we have to face off against Rumpelstiltskin. Because we, we really didn't have to do that that much last uh, story arc. He was basically separate from everyone else last plotline. I mean, he abducted Zelina for like 15 minutes, but then he got bored and left, so. Yeah. So the Storybook crew tracks the spell down to the clock tower because they can feel the residual magic, but gold is gone. But they all deduce that what happened was he took the Olympian crystal, sucked all the magic out of Storybook, and has taken off, which is one of those amazing... Batman 66-esque leaps in logic. That is accurate. Yeah. Hmm, a boat was stolen? You know what a kind of boat is? A catamaran. Catwoman must have taken it. Yeah, basically. Although I have to say, you don't have to jump to all these lengths to be like, oh, it was gold. Gold did something bad. So apparently they're like, he's absorbing the magic to wake up Belle, but he's not going to stop there. We need to stop him from doing whatever he's going to do. Okay, whatever. Motivations don't matter. That's what we've learned over the course of the show. What does matter is the fact that Emma and Regina are definitely divorced co-parents here. Yes, Emma is like, you know what, Regina, you should go home and rest. And Regina is super pissed. She's like, you know what, when your boyfriend died, we all went to hell for you. But you're all like, oh, Regina, you can't cope. You're definitely going to become the evil queen. Oh, yeah. By the way, this is not the beginning per se, but I mean... It is kind of the beginning of them talking about the evil queen like she's the Hulk. And if Regina gets angry enough, the evil queen's going to come out and smash. It's, yes. Well, which is important for what's going to happen in the next storyline. But it's weird. I mean. You, they have never talked about her like this before, but you're right. They need to now so that the next storyline works. Tina, you used to be a baby and we have to be careful because if something goes wrong, you might turn into a baby again. That's horrifying. That's what they're doing here, though. They're like, you were previously 
someone else and you might, I mean, I guess it's less dumb than that analogy, but. Only a little bit less dumb. I mean, the Evil Queen isn't a dark alternate personality. It was someone Regina was who she has been working to not be anymore. Exactly. It it makes personal redemption a thing that happens, I was going to say magically, but, you know, I don't mean yeah. magic, magic. But it makes redemption a thing that happens through some sort of mystical force and not through hard work. Not to go back to Angel again, but, you know, that speech he has about how no matter how much good he does, that doesn't resolve him of the evil things he he's done. Both things are part of him and good doesn't really change evil. Yes. This is sort of a way of shifting responsibility off of Regina for the evil things she's done as the evil queen. You know how we pretend that the thing with Graham didn't happen? Yeah, it's like that, but for all the people she murdered. Basically. Which, I, 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 it's just amazing we went through an entire hell season without... She had to deal with one person she casually murdered. Given the vast quantity of people she magically murdered... How is that not every other person she was dealing with in hell? That's a really good point. And I have to think most of their unfinished business would be punching Regina in the face. Yeah. My god, what What if that's how they defeated Hades? Just had a long line of people punch Regina in the face. Of course, because Hades gets less powerful the more people ascend. That would have been amazing. Sadly, that was not the show we got. Anyway. Back in the show we have... Emma has just gotten rid of her most powerful ally, and now she's getting rid of her most resourceful ally by telling Henry to go home and not worry about all of this that's going down. Yes, Regina angrily teleports off after Emma's like, hey, 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 I know your boyfriend just died, and that's why I think you're emotionally weak and unable to handle helping us out here, so why don't you go home, you pathetic little baby? And Regina's like, fuck you. Fuck you, you are not benching me, you rank-ass amateur, and teleports away. I'm taking my magic and I'm going home. Yeah, and Henry's like, my moms are fighting in front of me. Honest to God, this scene feels so much like, I know it's not an actual show, but it feels like the show we're talking about where Emma and Regina used to be married, but then they got divorced, and now they're kind of trying to co-parent Henry. This really feels like a kid walking in on his divorced parents fighting about something. It's absolutely what's happening in this scene. And Henry blames magic? Yeah, this is, I mean, it's not that weird a shift. It's happened before where Henry just blames everything on magic, but so that you understand Henry's motivation for the next couple of episodes, he has decided that everything would be better and his one mom would have no chance of becoming evil and his other mom would stop being so sad if he just got rid of all magic. So that's going to be his goal. Remember that? It's the, it's basically that episode in season two, I want to say, where he tried to blow up magic with dynamite. That was amazing. And yes, that's it's the more complicated version of that. Boy, we haven't been to that well in a while. Uh, I wasn't being metaphorical there. The well that was at one point the source of magic for the town, but then everyone just kind of forgot. Yeah. That well should have been the path to hell. I mean, I know it's a direct connection to... No, it shouldn't have been the path to hell because it's the path, to, it's the one thing that connects our world to the Enchanted Forest. Yes. Other than, you know... Other than all of the other portals. Yes. Henry's doing that thing he did at the end of the author story arc where he's basically going off on a solo adventure, except this time he's bringing Violet. He is. Because every adventure needs a lodestone. Hey. I mean... 
I guess she doesn't actively hinder him at all. No, no. Violet's fine. Yeah, I mean... Violet, and Violet needs to be there so that he can have somebody to bounce his dialogue off of. Yeah, although... (laughs) It was pretty awesome when he just went after the author by himself. That was pretty badass. So Henry goes to Gold's shop, steals a bunch of money because you definitely want to be stealing from Mr. Gold, and then exposits to Violet, who has found him, about how evil magic is and how he's going to destroy it. He points out uh, Geppetto's parents. He points out the spinning wheel tip that puts people under the sleeping curse. He picks up a snow globe and he's like, this is a village of people who are trapped like the people in the bottle city of Kandor because of a curse. Did we miss something? I don't remember that being a story arc. Henry's just making shit up now. Of course, when he makes shit up, it's real because he's the author. But yeah, that's not a thing we were previously aware of. So he's like, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the crystal to New York I'm going to destroy it. I'm going to destroy all the magic in this world. And uh, then everyone will be happy. And Violet's like, you know, that sounds like bullshit. But I mean, I'm not up to anything. So (laughs) might as well tag along. She actually says it would make her father angry. So she is totally in. And then Henry calls it Operation Mixtape because it's his plan to get laid. My God. Henry decides to actually start using his godlike powers just a little bit to help him destroy magic. Wasn't that the whole point of last season, how bad it is to use that pen? He's like, it's for the greater good. And we both immediately went, the greater good, because, you know. Hot Fuzz has ruined that phrase as thoroughly as the Princess Bride has ruined as you wish. Henry writes down with the pen, the Olympian crystal appeared in the author's hand. And then the Olympian crystal appears in his hand, which is such a cheat, even within the context of the author's pen being a cheat. It's such a cheat. It makes me angry. I'm angry about it. Because it's not a good story element or... Because it's not narratively satisfying. Exactly. That should be the thing with the author. He should only be able to cheat when it's narratively satisfying. I mean, it's the Roger Rabbit rules, right? Why couldn't you have gotten out of those handcuffs earlier? Because it wouldn't have been funny then. Yes, exactly. Which is actually a plot point later when Henry tries to defeat the uh, final big bad of the last pre-soft reboot season. Someone asks him why he doesn't just use his pen again. And he's like, I tried. It didn't work because it wouldn't be narratively satisfying. So in the charming loft... The Storybook crew are trying to track Mr. Gold with no success. When they realize that Henry is missing, he's left a note that he's gone off to destroy magic. And then Gold shows up to tell them that Henry freaking wrote his crystal away and is going to destroy magic. And he's like, and y'all better pray he doesn't succeed. And Regina's like, why? I mean, I like being able to set people on fire with my mind, but is it really that big of a deal? And Gold's like, yeah, this whole town is made out of magic. What do you think's going to happen to all this if he destroys it? I know, the consequences of Henry destroying magic would be cataclysmic for all of these magical people. Um, by the way, Lana Perea looks so good in this episode. Yeah, I know we normally talk about how gorgeous she is, but because... She is, but this kind of reminds me of, did you ever read For Better or For Worse? The newspaper comic strip? Yes. Yeah. You remember how in like, did you read like the last story arc when she was getting- Oh no, I had stopped reading by then. 
Okay, so in the last story arc, it deals with uh, the Patterson daughter, uh, Liz, uh-huh. marrying her high school boyfriend, Anthony. Blah. But <laughs> I love that you have really strong feelings about newspaper comic strips. It was gross. Go ahead. We probably shouldn't go on a for better or for worse tangent right now, but what's really gross is that those people were all based on the author's actual children, who at that point in time she was estranged from and was just, like, writing what she wished their lives had turned into. It's kind of like Amazing Amy from Gone Girl, which makes me wonder how many of her kids have faked their own death to frame their spouses. Uh, Oh, spoiler for Gone Girl. I think it's okay at this point. I know, I'm pat- I mean, Gone Girling has become a verb. I am past the statute of limitations for spoiling Gone Girl. It's true. But in the last story arc, the cartoonist was drawing Liz, like, aggressively glamorous. And that's sort of what's going on with Regina here. Like, she's being over-the-top gorgeous. It's very disconcerting. Like, she's always gorgeous. She's a gorgeous woman. But right now, her hair and makeup, she looks like she's a YouTube makeup blogger. Yeah, she looks like she's on a modeling shoot or something. It's ridiculous. Yeah, especially because Jennifer Morrison, again, also a beautiful woman, appears to be wearing hardly any makeup at all. It's striking contrast. Yeah, I I wonder what's going on here. It, It feels like a very deliberate choice, but I can't say why or what it's supposed to be leaning into. I mean, the conventional choice would be to do the opposite, right? To have Jennifer Morrison, to have Emma be glammed up because she's reunited with the love of her life and have Lana Perea be doing more of a haggard no-makeup look because she's in mourning, but that's not what they're going with. Yeah. Huh. So Emma's like, look, I know we're having a sort of fight right now, but our son's in danger, so we're going to have to team up and get him, and my God, I would watch this movie. I know! Well, I mean, we are. Yeah, but like, it seriously seems like an indie movie about... Two divorced women whose son runs away from the small town where they're trying to co-parent and they have to go after him. Like This is the plot of Jurassic Park 3. Why? Why would you? <laughs> Sorry, it is. Okay. Except that with Jurassic Park 3, it's a straight couple. And as yeah, we know, I... lesbianism makes everything better. Well, I was about to say, which one of them would be William H. Macy then? Is Regina William H. Macy? No. So she's Taya Leone. I mean, she could be. Taylor is also a beautiful woman. True. Okay, so Jennifer Morrison's William H. Macy. So it turns out that Emma has put a GPS tracker on Henry's phone because... Okay, sure. Yeah. The kid gets kidnapped a lot. I mean, a lot less than he used to, but still. Well, now he runs away a lot. (laughs) And he has headed off to Boston. Meanwhile, on the other end of the glamorous spectrum... Yeah, I... I don't want to be mean, but I'm going to be. Mary Margaret looks kind of like if... Okay, here's the thing. If I saw her on the street, I'd say, Girl, you look tired. Oh, that's the worst thing you could say to someone. I'm aware. I was thinking more like if if you were in like a... God, like upper or lower middle class area and a goodwill took human form... That's sort of what she looks like. Oh, like one of those Goodwills, but a nice Goodwill. Yeah, a nice Goodwill, but not like a nice, nice Goodwill. But like the Goodwill on Hawthorne. Yeah. You know, a Goodwill where you're like, yeah, okay. I mean, I'm still going to wash these clothes before wearing them, but 
I recognize some of these brands, and there's not a teddy bear that looks like it would give you some sort of horrible disease if you touched it. You know, they actually send all of the good clothes to that Goodwill. It's not just that people in that neighborhood give better clothes. It's that they get sorted and the best clothes get sent to the Goodwills in the richer neighborhoods. Huh. I didn't know that. Yeah. We used to, uh, when I was younger, uh, sometimes we'd go to uh, Westport, which is the super fancy town in Connecticut. Okay. And if you went into their Goodwill, they had like ridiculously nice stuff there. See, they have really nice stuff at the Goodwill in Hawthorne Mm -hmm. here in Portland, but I always have better luck at the trashy Goodwill near us than at that Goodwill. It's just you have to be willing to dig for it. Mm. And be okay with sewing on your own buttons. I know how to sew buttons. So there's a quick shot in Main Street where a bunch of the denizens of Storybrooke decide to leave the world without magic before Henry, you know, fucks it up for everyone by destroying... Magic. So that we don't have to wonder later where Merida is. Yeah. So Zelina is going to use that wand that can make portals that she got to portal them over. And Mary Margaret's like, now Zelina, don't do any tornadoes this time. And so I was like, oh my god. Why Racist. Did I, why did I join up with you people? Fine. Door. Walk through the door, everyone. I guess if you want to be basic about it, I'll just make a door. <laughs> Who am I, Aslan at the end of Prince Caspian? Who am I, Jeffrey from The Good Place? So, in the real world, Regina is yelling at a bus driver because Henry wasn't on the bus. Yes, they're at a bus depot in Boston, and the GPS tracker led them to this particular bus. But it turns out that Henry just stashed his phone under the seat because he's a smart kid. Smart. Yeah, I guess they're probably using Violet's phone that she has for some reason. Maybe they're just... Getting by without a phone. Preposterous. Regina's super pissed, so she throws the phone in the garbage. And I love how Emma tries to stop her because there's nothing wrong with the phone. Henry just doesn't have it. But Regina is so upset that it bursts into flame, which is shocking because they are in the land without magic. That should not be possible. Maybe it just happened to be a very well-timed garbage bomb. Perhaps. Because, you know, it just happened to go off. When Regina made an excellent shot to get Henry's phone in the garbage. Yeah, she's a good shot. But actually what happened is that Henry has brought the crystal filled with magic to the world without magic. So now they have magic. So they don't bring it up here, but that was actually kind of set up when we were dealing with the sorcerer's uh, a hat subplot. The whole reason Rumpel was sucking magic into it was so that he could uh, use magic in the world without magic. So It's true. So- also, they went to Boston because that's the one place you go. I mean, they were following Henry's phone, but Henry sent them to Boston. Yes, he did. But Henry did not go to Boston. Henry went to New York City. So Violet's like, wow, this place doesn't smell like urine at all. And Henry's like, it sure doesn't. Well, not compared to Camelot. Point. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah. She. I, honestly, I'm surprised she's not homesick. <laughs> no offense, New York. So back in Storybrooke, Zelina is sharing a very... It's not acknowledged as such, but it's a very awkward goodbye with the most adorable child actor ever. Roland, yes. She's saying goodbye to Roland and... She promises that she'll come visit him and bring his little sister, and this is all so weird. What does Roland think happened? Because Regina wiped his mind of Zelina pretending to be Maid Marian. Did she? 
Yeah, well, she talked about doing it with Robin. I'm not sure if they actually got around to it. God, yeah, that's true. Oh, God. Anyway, Roland gives Zelina one of Robin's arrows to give to Regina. Which I guess is sweet. When Zelina tries to close the door, suddenly it starts earthquaking and winding. It, it also does the splash out thing from Stargate and sucks everybody into another realm. Except for Granny, who is conspicuously holding baby Neil in the background. I'm guessing so people won't ask what the hell, you know, is going on with baby Neil. It was actually baby Robin. Oh, what the hell's happening with baby Neil then? Right? Baby Neil's somewhere else. It's fine. So now, instead of being vaporized like you are if you get sucked in one of the Stargate backlashes, Zelina, Hook, David, and Mary Margaret have been transported to a Victorian-looking land? Hmm, yeah. It's, yeah, I'd say Victorian. It's one of those creepy mansion manor Manors, yes. Yeah. That is what it is. It's like a mansion, but not nice. It's big and expensive, but not fancy, per se. Yeah, sure. It's, um, It's like a mansion for people with generational wealth. So, Zelina happens to somehow, I guess because of the magic fluctuations or whatever, fuck up the transportation spell in a way that sends her into the path of the next season's plot. Yeah, that's what happens. Back in Boston, Regina tries to prick Emma's finger without explaining what she's doing. And Emma's like, what the fuck? And Regina's like, calm down, it's just a magic spell to track Henry because you share the same blood. It's an oddly intimate moment when uh, Emma lets Regina prick her finger. It really is. Because they're they're basically holding hands. I mean, it's it's trust, it's physical closeness, it's bodily fluids. I, it's, it's all there. Plus, hey, they kind of remembered locator spells existed. Sort of. I mean, I guess this is more scrying adjacent. This is more than scrying adjacent. This is scrying. They put a drop of Emma's blood onto a map, and because she's connected to Henry, because they have the same blood... The droplet falls to New York City, where Henry is. Yeah. And Regina's like, oh, right, the other location that's not Storybrooke in the real world. Exactly. Wait, don't forget, they sometimes also go to Vancouver and pretend it's Portland. Oh, right. And they once went to Tallahassee. Mm -hmm. So, Rumpel's driving to New York because apparently he's more on top of things than they are. That's not surprising. And when uh, when he gets stopped for the toll... You know, to get into New York. He just force chokes the guy. Oh my god, it's like 50 cents. Seriously, Rumple, don't be a dick. In New York City, Henry is showing Violet around, buying her New York Street pizza. and god, Remember what a huge thing he had for New York pizza? Oh my god, I had forgotten about that. What's funny is they weren't actually eating good New York Street pizza in that episode, but now they do appear to have actually gotten a good New York slice. So... Violet's like, I sort of don't get what we're doing here. What does New York specifically have to do with destroying magic? And Henry's like, okay, so here's a really serious retcon about what happened last time I was in New York. Yeah, he says that his father was trying to find a way to destroy magic. His father, non-baby Neil. Right, which is 100% inaccurate. Neil was not trying to find a way to destroy magic. Neil 
found a passageway to a world without magic and was like mission fucking accomplished. You know what would have made more sense? If he had teamed up with that crew from season two that were almost a thing that were trying to destroy magic. Yeah, if he had found like a bunch of Tamara's notes. Well, yeah, and then if they had turned out to be a real group instead of just like three hip men who were lied to by Peter Pan. Wow, if the Peter Pan season had been better, there would have been a passageway into this plot. Yes. Instead of having to lie about what Neil's plan was. Yeah, because apparently Neil was in New York because there's some sort of anti-magic thing in the New York Public Library. Well, yeah, his father was researching how to get rid of magic, and he had a journal... And why would there be stuff in the world without magic about destroying magic? Because magic doesn't exist in the world without magic. So this is just... Whatever. Whatever. It's fine. It's all fine. So in the weird Victorian place, David's like, so why don't you just make us another portal with the wand? And Enzelina's like, no, it got elder wanded, see? And she waves both halves of it in yep, there. It got broken when they were transported, so... Unless David has some spellotape, they're in trouble. Yeah, and, and David's like, why don't you just fucking fix it then? And she's like, uh, I need potions to do that. And he's like, really? Because it seems like most of your magic just involves pointing at stuff hard. She's like, yeah, pointing at stuff hard with the wand. My <laughs> wand is so powerful. It can magic everything except itself. I don't know. I remember when she enchanted uh, Excalibur to control Merlin a spell which required Merlin to make potions, but just required her to point at the sword really hard. Yeah. Or or when uh or when Cora was trying to get her to wake uh, Regina out of that wand-induced coma as a kid, and she's like, "Well, we're gonna have to make a potion," and then Zelina just pointed. Yeah. Zelina's really into pointing-based magic, is what I'm getting at here. That's true. That's true. Well, regardless, this part of the storybook crew finds a squirrely gardener who is freaked out that there are people here because his master is going to be angry. And then before they can respond, uh, uh, an enforcer shows up and electrocutes them all. Yeah, a man in a white coat comes up and mystically tases them. That's the thing I want to emphasize. I don't think it's magic. It is purely science tasing. Okay, it's just the special effect makes you think of magic because it's not very good well it's the science that's so advanced it may as well be magic but not because it's victorian because we're in an alternate victorian reality where you have tasers that shoot out lightning bolts yes just to keep you up to date on which genre we're in right now yes so the man in the white coat tases them and they all fall unconscious and wake up in a cage as you do as you do okay so We've said multiple times over the course of this show that uh, that Once Upon a Time is at its strongest when it leans into horror tropes because fairy tales are at their core scary stories. Right. Well, not at their core. They're at their core. They're usually morality tales. Which is what good horror stories are. Yeah. And I know it's going to end up falling apart eventually, but... As all things do. But God, I love the intro to this plot because we're kind of swerving into a different genre of horror, different subgenre of horror. We are going next season to venture into Victorian horror. 
as was teased by the fact that there is a land where Frankenstein takes place. So we cut to all of them waking up post-tasering in a person cage inside this very creepy Victorian asylum. Yes, and Zelina discovers that she still has her wand. But she doesn't have her powers. Something about the cage inhibits magic. She says they're enchanted, but you're right. I think it's technology inhibiting magic, not magic inhibiting magic. And then the villain appears. Okay, can I just say how much I love this guy? There's this raw simplicity about him. He's like, he's attractive in a old school murderer way. He's got a real Bill Compton from True Blood vibe. This is a man who marries duchesses and then strangles them to death. This is a man who marries duchesses who are then never seen again. And everyone kind of talks about it. But nobody does anything about it because he's so charming. And honest to God, the guy's on scene for like three minutes and he's already a way more effective villain than Hades was at any point. I want to point out that he has a pretty intense scar down the side of his face only because I think the show was trying to fake us out and make us think he might be a Frankenstein monster, which is, spoiler for the end of this episode, not the case. Are we going to be really awkward and just call him the man until it's revealed that he's... Yes. So, the man walks across the room. I Also, there's something with his eyes. I can't tell if they're contacts or not, because it's on the edge of you could conceivably naturally have eyes like that. His eyes are very dark, and they're kind of uh, red-rimmed, so that's definitely done with contacts. And the makeup is done to make his eyes look very sunken. I mean, his whole aesthetic is great. Yeah, it's actually perfect. He's got kind of this Undertaker-esque suit. Yes. So so Victorian suit man walks in and knows, assumes, that this half of the storybook crew was sent by the Dark One. I assume because they came through magical means? I guess. I mean, it makes sense. They came from magical means. They're very clearly from a different land, just clothing-wise. It's true. And Hook's like, listen here, I'm a pirate and I don't like Rumpelstiltskin, so I... And then the man just kind of... Crushes his larynx? Yeah. I see. I was going to say choking, but the thing is, it's not. It's like... It's going to sound weird, but it's more brutal than choking. Oh, yeah. He just reaches out and grabs Hook by the neck. And then David is like clawing uselessly at his hand. Like, he's too strong. I can't help you, Hook. And Mary Margaret decides that the best thing to do is to snitch as hard as she possibly can. I mean, it's, is it snitching if he's your mortal enemy? I guess not. She's like, we don't work for Rumpelstiltskin, but here's literally everything we know about Rumpelstiltskin. See, we're here to stop him because he's trying to absorb all the magic from our town using a crystal that he stole from Hades. And also he has a wife and the wife's pregnant. And the man is like, that's a lot of information to absorb in a very short period of time. I'm going to go away and absorb this information. And also I'm going to leave you in a cage because I'm smart. I don't just let people go for no reason before I know if they're going to hurt me or not. And David tells them, if you let us out of this cage, you don't have to worry about us. You clearly have beef with Rumpelstiltskin. We're not working with him. And the man is like, you know what makes you not have to worry about someone? Keeping them in a cage. How is this guy already a better villain than Hades? 
He's pretty great. I mean, we get why he's dangerous, and he has such this menacing aura. I kind of love him. So back in New York, Emma and Regina are in Neil's apartment, and they realize that Henry has already been here, and that he probably has brought his little girlfriend with him, because after they found the journal... They apparently took the time to go through Neil's record collection and play their song. And Regina's like, they have a song? And Emma's like, yeah, it's the same song Neil and I were listening to when Henry was conceived. And Regina's like, oh, gross. You can stop being gung-ho about this. I get that you're being supportive because of that time you ripped that girl's heart out. Okay, but can we circle back? Why is Emma sure that this was Henry? This was also her and Neil's song. Maybe Neil was just listening to it before he died. Well, Robin Hood was living in this apartment for a while. uh, Oh, I guess that's true. With Zelina slash Marion. It's so weird how the show wants us to forget that that happened. Except for not, because, oh my god, I can't even. Okay, sorry. I'm not going to cut out this weird rambling bit, because here's the problem. This was Neil's apartment. We'll just take as a given that Rumpel is continuing to pay the rent or at least the property taxes if it's an apartment that's owned outright. Mm. And so it's just still there and empty whenever anyone comes to New York. So after Neil was gone, Robin Hood and Zelina, disguised as Marion, were living in this apartment with Roland, like as a family. And yet it's still decorated like Neil was the one living there. Right. So I would say that the show either has forgotten or wants us to forget that whole Robin Hood storyline, and wants us to forget that they were holed up in this apartment. Except the next thing that happens is that Regina finds a book that she gave to Robin that he had with him. A book about the mythology of Robin Hood? What a creepy gift to give someone. Hi, here's a story someone else wrote about you, kind of. This would be like giving Regina a copy of The Descendants. Oh my god, I would love to watch The Descendants with Regina. While drinking? Yes, while drinking. By the way, if you want to hear our take on The Descendants, you should become a patron because our Patreon stretch goal is doing a podcast about The Descendants and we have so much to say about it. We want to talk about it so bad. Regina finds in the book a letter that Robin had written to her when he was living with Selena, who he thought was Marion. That was... Which is a weird way of acknowledging that plot point. It's true. Anyway, it said that you know, he's with Marion because it's the right thing to do, but he's still in love with her. So, you know, just, this is all stuff Regina already knew. Just twisting the knife a little bit more, I guess. Mm. So, Regina talks, starts talking about how, about why she got so angry when Emma tried to bench her. Yeah, and for some reason it's not because she's the most powerful person on their team, and maybe Emma shouldn't be treating her like she's made of glass or a child. But no, it's because she knew Emma was right about the evil queen always being inside of her, just waiting to hulk out. And Uh, I was like, yeah. And I was like, no, I I get it. I was evil. I was the dark one. And Regina's like, shut up. You had darkness thrust upon you. I was born into the darkness. Except not. She's like, I chose the darkness. I, all of that evil was internal. Yours was external. Also, she's like, I massacred entire villages, you bleached your hair and wore a black coat. Which point, like, 
On one of Regina's off days, she caused more damage than Emma did in her entire tenure as the Dark One. Which honestly was the point and why everyone was so wrong to be freaked out about Emma being the Dark One, but we're not here to relitigate that season. And Emma's like, but you're good now. You like doing good. And she's like, it's complicated. Like, I know doing good things is right. I know making the correct moral choices is the right thing to do, but it always just seems to end up with me getting hurt. I mean, it sure is hard for Regina to keep doing the right thing when the world keeps kicking her in the ass about it. Kind of on Regina's side here. Can she not get a break? I was like, well, I mean, you've had happy moments. You were happy with Robin, right? And she's like, yeah, and then he fucking died. And now we're going back to the whole villains can't get happy endings. And Regina is convinced that the reason that she can't get a happy ending is because she was the evil queen. Although... This actually kind of leans into the angel quote we were talking about earlier, where she's like, basically, this is always something I'm going to have to deal with. No matter how hard I try to be a hero, that really can't undo any of the things I did. There's not really redemption for me. But unlike Angel, which was talking about the impossibility of redemption when you've done true evil and caused true harm, this is more like a mystical, I was the bad guy in quotation marks, so now I'm trapped in a poorly written narrative. And the main thing keeping her from going evil is the fact that She's going to lose all of the people she loves, which... If she has... If she doesn't want to lose what she has, then... I know it's tragic that her boyfriend died, but people die. Can she not just grieve and then accept that her family and her life is her happy ending? I mean, to the extent that you don't really get endings because that's not how life works? Honestly, this is really making me think of that part of Bojack Horseman's monologue in the episode with his mother's funeral this season, Mm. where he talks about how on Horsin' Around, people didn't get happy endings because it was a show. It had to keep going. And if there was a happy ending, it would end. And that's how life is. It just keeps going until it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, And and there's this weird thing where she starts talking to Emma, like this scene... I feel like is kind of a preview of what we'll end up getting in the few episodes we saw of the Seattle season of speeches that kind of just keep on going forever. Speaking of things that don't end until they do. Yeah, they give a lot of long speeches in the Seattle season from what we saw. But she talks about how she's worried that that she she needs to do the right thing, because if she does the wrong thing, it means she'll lose the people she loves. She'll lose Henry and she'll lose Emma. But when she does the right thing, she still ends up losing, and she doesn't want to lose the people she loves. She's talking about how she's trapped, because no matter what she does, the people she cares about always end up suffering. Emma is done listening to this speech, so she uses the computer to figure out where Henry went, and it's to the library. Which, I have to say, they call the Midtown Library instead of the New York Public Library. Hmm. It's clearly intended to be the New York Public Library. And oddly, okay, we don't see... I mean, they're not shooting this in New York. They're shooting this on a soundstage that's meant to be New York. And... So we don't see the lions. No, we see what I think is supposed to be a side entrance with the library logo that has the lion on it. 
It is very bizarre the way this both is and is not the New York Public Library. That's all I want to say. Anyway, Rumpel was listening outside of the door when Emma chose to end Regina's very long rambling speech by going, oh, hey, looks like they're at the library. So Henry and Violet are in the library. They are going to the rare book room. And the librarian says, wow, it's weird. Normally we only get people asking about young adult novels, which I actually find kind of funny. That is a funny dig, but I have to think it's also not true because most people who go to the New York Public Library are going for its extensive collection. So they can research things in books that are not part of the circulating collection. So you have to physically be there to read them, such as in the rare book room. Or to look at, uh, you know, porn on the internet. Don't think people do that so much at the New York Public Library. I don't know. I just think that there are easier places in New York to access porn than the New York Public Library, which, if you've ever been to, is pretty massive and would be hard to find a private computer corner in. I think it's adorable you think these people care about privacy. I'm just saying, if you're going to a library to look at porn, you probably don't care what other people think about you. Henry and Violet are in the rare book room. Which the woman just leaves them in. I, I've only been to a couple rare book rooms, but I feel like you don't normally get left alone in them. I, so when I was in law school, I heard a rumor that the people who were top in the class every year were the people who studied in the rare book room at the law library. So for my first semester, I studied in there to give myself a superstitious edge. Ah. And I was left alone. You also weren't 14 years old. Accurate. Like, aren't rare old books kind of valuable? There are some books and there are some places where you have to wear special gloves to even handle the books. Yeah, I mean, uh, the Boston Public Library, which you should go to if you're in Boston. It's it's pretty nice. But they've got a rare book collection and basically all of them are behind glass cases. Not all of them, but a lot of them are behind glass cases. And like, it's you can only look at them while someone is there standing behind you. Have you ever been to the Rare Book Room in Powell's? Uh, no, actually I haven't. We should go. Yeah. Henry finds a whole bunch of copies of his book. They're not copies of his book, though. They're variations on his book. They're all Once Upon a Time books, but with stories he's never seen before. Henry flips through so that we can see some illustrations and see all of the other stories that are in these books that tantalizingly we will never see sadly i want a don quixote season yes we see don quixote tilting at windmills and can i just say how much better these illustrations are than the faked photoshop pictures in henry's book you mean the fact that they're actual illustrations and not just stills that they took and then ran photoshop over so that they could more easily uh shift from scene to scene back in season one Yeah, so I have to say, I think the problem is with Isaac, and clearly a better author also creates better illustrations. Although Henry also creates the crappy Photoshop illustrations, although I guess that's because it's what he's used to. Right, right, he's just... Right. I learned it from watching you, Isaac! (laughs) Also, I'm just really proud of this show for not using the Picasso Don Quixote image. Hmm. It's really the kind of laziness I would have expected from them. What's the first thing on Google Images? Exactly. (laughs) So Violet's like, wait a second, but the stories in your book are all real. So maybe, and then we get an image of, I'm so pissed they didn't do this. I'm hoping maybe they did it in the Seattle season, although I'm guessing not. Paul Bunyan and Babe the Blue Ox? Yes. 
Yes. By the way, there's apparently some manga that has, or anime or something. I was looking for uh, Paul Bunyan stuff because, you know, we've got that statue. And all that came up, not all that came up, but when I Googled it, what came up was a bunch of pictures from some anime. And I'm like, really? Really? Well, I mean... If we're going to steal a bunch of other people's cultures, it's only fair. Turnabout's fair play. Exactly. Henry also sees an illustration of the manor, the Victorian manor that half the storybook crew are trapped in. Speaking of. Yeah, we cut back to Hook, who is still in a lot of pain from getting his throat crushed. (laughs) He's like, literally just got back from being dead. They're trying to figure out what Rumpelstiltskin could have done, and David breaks a stool to get a steak in case the guy might be a vampire i I guess he was getting a bill compton vibe too he does sort of have vampire aesthetics definitely has a vampire vibe but the person who approaches them is not the man but rather the skittish gardener that they saw earlier well i mean he's got a real dr hopper quality to him let's be honest oh wow yeah that's very true so he's like hey i'm here to help you and david's like why why would you help us because I don't know David's thing is being needlessly confrontational. Right. David's like, you didn't help us before. And he's like, yeah, the scary guy was watching me. Yeah, like, I basically said two words to you and then you got tased. There wasn't really a lot I can do. But if you promise to get me out of here, then I'll let you out. Sounds fair to me. And David's like, why do you want to come with us? And he's like, are you fucking kidding me? Are you not... Are you not observing what's happening around you? I used to be a doctor at this place, and then the warden took over, and now I'm an effing gardener. I don't want to be here anymore. Uh, By the way, the warden is how they are referring to what we have been calling the man. So, the warden. Which, again, Once Upon a Time does really well when it leans into horror tropes, and now it's leaning into a different genre of horror, and it works so well. It really does. The the mysterious mansion, the frightened residents, the kind of uncanny fear of the vaguely unknown. It's it's kind really of, well done. It's got aspects of uh, I don't know if you what you'd call this subgenre asylum horror. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean that's a lot of Victorian horror has that in it, which is why it's that's how I've been thinking of this. It actually is very similar to kind of uh, Shirley Jackson horror, which I have not yet watched the Netflix show The Haunting of Hill House, but I bet it's very similar to this kind of... I've heard so many good things about that. Atmospheric horror. I've heard good things about the show itself, but some uh, really uh, disappointing news about how it straight-washed the original story, so... Uh. Yeah. Back in this story... The gardener offers to take the wand and fix it so that they can all get the fuck out of here. And David threatens to shank him? Yeah, with a stake. He threatens to stake him because you know what? Stakes work on non-vampires too if you shove hard enough. Yeah. So David decides to trust the guy. Well, I mean, they don't really have a choice. Yeah. But maybe he'd be less likely to stab you in the back if you didn't threaten him for no good reason. Right. He's like, because he runs into the room like, hey, let me help you. And David's like, why should we trust you? Because he Uh, clearly doesn't want to be here either, David. You have similar goals. It's the only, honestly, it's the only way you can ever trust anyone. Yeah. So back in New York, Henry's kind of frustrated by the fact that 
despite finding all of these books with other stories in them, he didn't really find a way to destroy magic. Yeah, he didn't immediately come across a story about destroying magic in the magic books. But you know what he did immediately come across? Which Violet sees across the room in this rare book room? Yeah, I shouldn't have complained about him bringing Violet because she immediately recognizes the evil twin of the Holy Grail. The evil Grail? <laughs> the Infernal Grail. Ooh, the Infernal Grail. Yeah, she's like, hey, look, it's, uh, you know, I grew up in Camelot and that cup looks like an evil version of the Holy Grail. But it's behind glass. What, what are we going to do? Maybe that's how we destroy magic? And Henry's like, oh, right. I'm the one character who just does stuff. Yeah, so he breaks the glass and steals the grail, and they just... Okay, Henry's kind of great. Even though he's doing this dumbass subplot, it's kind of great. He puts the grail next to the Olympian crystal, and they have kind of a weird magnetic reaction to each other, so Henry realizes this will somehow destroy magic, but that they need to get out of here before the librarian comes in and wants to know why they're smashing up the rare book room. Yeah, he's like... Okay, so this is clearly going to work, but we can't do it here and now because then this plot will be over too soon. Okay, he just smashed up a display case in the rare book room. He's right that they need to get out and figure it out, probably back at Neil's apartment. Well, it looks like all he needs to do is touch the two things together. Oh, no, it's way more complicated than that. They're just reacting to each other because they have opposite forces. So the two of them are trying to get out of there before they get in trouble for smashing the glass case when they get into more trouble because here comes Rumpelstiltskin. Yep, and he casts a spell to knock them both out and then grabs the crystal and runs. It's kind of great because Henry's like, you're not going to get this crystal without a fight. And Rumpel's like, I'm the dark one. I'm all the dark ones. I can just cast a spell and now you're unconscious. Oh, I mean, Henry is still his grandson, which is, I'm assuming, why he doesn't just do a neck-snapping thing here. Yeah, that's gotta be why. Like, he's playing incredible softball here. I don't know what how Henry thought this was gonna go down. Back in the asylum, the gardener is in the lab trying to figure out a way to piece the wand back together. I like that he's wearing the same white coat as the white coat guy. It's a, it's a Howie coat. Yeah, except his is dirty. The man who tased them in the garden, who is not the same as the man, Mm -hmm. the warden, was wearing a white Howie lab coat. And as you said, his was clean and the gardener's is dirty. And the gardener successfully repairs the wand using science. I kind of, I just want to throw out there that a Howie lab coat is the lab coat that you associate with. Frankenstein. Evil scientists. Yes. Dr. Horrible. Yes. Actually, that's the reason I know the name of it, because I had to search for it when I was making a Dr. Horrible costume. So, speaking of the guard, he comes in here and he's like, what the fuck are you doing, man? And the gardener tells him that the warden told him to fix the wand. And he's like... That doesn't sound like something the warden would say. So he starts to beat the shit out of the gardener. He's like, why don't we ask the warden? And the gardener tries to run away, but he gets hit in the face, and then force-fed a blue potion. And oh shit, y'all, it's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, for those of you who had not already guessed. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty... Pretty obvious. It's pretty obvious, but it still works, and... It's still well done. I mean, yeah. I mean, not so much the weird CGI shape-shifting face thing. Okay, yeah, the face transformation is really bad CGI. They already had him turn away... Just have him turn away as Jekyll and turn back as Hyde. Why is that so difficult? 
This is one of those times it would have looked way better just to do the cheap thing. Right. So Hyde turns to the guard and is like, um, you cut my face? And the guard's like, I cut Jekyll's face because he was running. And Hyde's like, nope, not good. He says, nobody hurts Jekyll. And he picks up the guy with one hand and throws him across the room. And he's like, except me. Which, this guy has so much presence. I think that's the thing. Yes, he has a very ominous presence. And now he has the wand. And the uh, white coat guard's like, I could kill them. Like, would it make it better if I killed those people in the cage? And Jekyll's like, no, no. I think Jekyll was onto something with these people. I think I can use them to my own ends. So, as you have all guessed, this is going to be Hyde's way back to Storybrooke and to Rumpelstiltskin. So, apparently, Jekyll is not a huge fan of living where he is, which is apparently the steampunk version of the country from Disenchantment. Oh, that's true. I mean, I was thinking it's more like the... it's, It's Victorian steampunk. I mean, it's not really the steampunk version of anything. It's... The, it's steampunk. It is the platonic ideal of what steampunk is. Yes, he lives in, he is a steampunk girl living in a steampunk world. And in case you were unsure about whether or not it was steampunk, we see some rigid airships. So his goal is to not live in steampunk world anymore, and he's going to use these people to get out of steampunk world. It's basically Hades plot, except... We know about it right off the bat, and he's not going to fart around all season trying to accomplish it. Yes, and then, just in case you thought that Once Upon a Time gave you any credit for being able to follow what was going on, we cut back to the New York Public Library, and one of the books is open to The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Thank you, we already got there. We're we're with you, show. We got it. So... Emma and Regina find Henry and Violet on the floor, and they both run to Henry's side, and then Emma's like, oh, right, Violet, that one. And they tell her what they were doing, and that Rumpel got the crystal back, but they do not tell her that they have the Dark Grail. Yeah. And Regina's like, what the fuck were you thinking? And Henry's like, I was thinking about you. You were almost happy, and then... Magic came and fucked it up, and I was worried you might become the evil queen again. Even he sounds like he's not really buying this. And he's yeah. And she's like, no, I've suppressed her. The evil queen is never coming back. Also, it's totally a coincidence that we're talking about the evil queen in this manner in the same storyline where we've introduced Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Oh, that's just a coincidence. Don't worry about it. Henry talks about how magic has taken away all the people they love. And it's like, well, life did that, Henry. He's like, it took away my dad. It took away Violet's mom. And Regina's like, actually, Zelina took away your dad. But we're all kind of talking around that now. I mean, people are going to die even without magic, Henry. In fact, probably more people are going to die. So he tells them that he was looking for something to destroy magic, but he couldn't find anything. So this whole adventure was just a big waste of time. Yep. Basically. And we cut to Rumpelstiltskin walking through New York. Regina attempts to use uh, 
his blood because, you know, he's... Henry has the same blood as Rumpelstiltskin. So she attempts to redo the locator spell, except she can't because magic has turned off for them. Yeah, they don't have magic anymore. Uh-oh. That's a bummer. They all look worried, including Henry, which is like, isn't this what you wanted, dude? Seriously. It's going to be what he wanted for, like, this episode and I think maybe half of the next episode. But Emma's like, no, now that Rumpel's got the crystal, he's hogging all of the magic for himself. So we're going to have to use detective work to find him. Right. It's nice of her to remind us that she's a detective. A uh, Bail Bonds person. Back in steampunk world, Hyde is using the wand to create a portal to steal what it is that Rumpel values most. Okay, so so just like anyone can use that wand now. Right, yeah, anyone can use the wand. You don't have- what, wait, wait, no! The person who used the wand was the person who had to be a combination of good and evil, and Hyde is using the wand. You know what? That actually works. That actually really works. Yeah. So we're cutting between... Still doesn't make sense that Zelina could use it when she could, but whatever. Whatever. Rumpel is settling into a hotel room to unboxify Belle. He places the box in the middle of the bed so that he can use the Olympian Crystal's magic to revive her and wake her up. And she'll wake up in a nice bed in a nice hotel room. Yes. So on one side, there's the bed with the box on it. And on the other side, there's the end table with the crystal that has the power. And the portal begins to open. And Rumpel can either save the person he loves or his power. I feel like we've been here before. Yep. Mr. Hyde just opens the portal and Rumpel has a choice to make and he grabs the crystal. Yep. And now Hyde has the box. The box with Belle. So that's it for this episode. I really enjoyed it. I know. We have no what this show should be instead. Or at least I don't. Uh, I don't either. Show should be this. Yeah, we've got an intriguing new villain. We've got a cool new setting. I mean, Henry's being kind of a wiener, but whatever. He's still he's still proactive, which is more than a lot of the characters on the show can say. I mean, to be fair, we're in the part of the show where it's ticking back up so that we are reinvested and come back next season so that it can disappoint us yet again. But I'm super excited for Hyde, even though I, I know it all ends up, you know, kind of let's, fizzling. Let's not up. talk about that right now. Yeah. Let's just enjoy it while we can. So that's it for this week. Next week will be the finale of this season, but really just a setup for next season. Our show is partially listener supported. If you would like to become one of those supporters, you can go to our website, www.ilovetelevisionzines, and click on our Patreon link. You can also listen to past episodes while you're there. We would like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, and Ryan. You can also support us in other ways, such as rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, head over to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash ilovetelevisionzines. You can also contact us at I Love TV Zines on Twitter or at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to Storybrooke. A mixtape. Oh, he made a mixtape. Oh, he was thinking of me, which shows he cares. Sometimes when someone.
Clue.